Amen and amen. Okay, we're going to be in the book of Matthew. It's called The Touch of Jesus. Matthew chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. Very uh, small passage of scripture, but uh, apparently there's quite a lot in there as I was reading through this. Uh, the Bible says Jesus entered Peter's house. Whose house did he go into? Peter's. And when he was in Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law and he left. No, that's not what happened. He saw Peter's mother-in-law lying sick with a fever, and so he touched her hand, and what happened? The fever left her. And then what happened when the fever left her? She got up, right? A lot of people today, if the fever left you, you're going to be watching a whole series on Netflix. That's not what she did. She arose, and then she began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. And this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. And by the way, in Isaiah, depending on the scripture translation you have, in Isaiah 53, it actually says he took our, he bore, he took our griefs and he bore our sorrows. I believe that the Holy Spirit says, no, this is what I meant when I wanted it to be translated. He took our sicknesses and he bore our diseases. Now, see, you got to realize everything was translated from Hebrew to Greek or Hebrew to English, and so the translators did what they thought was right whenever they translated that verse into English, and it's also that it could have two meanings, and it means both of them, but Matthew is telling us that specifically the application of this scripture was what Jesus was doing. He was uh, uh, he was casting out the spirits with the word and he healed how many who were sick? Some? Most? All who were sick. And this was to fulfill that scripture. So anyway, um, there's a couple of things I want to bring out about, about Jesus and Peter and actually Peter's house. And so if you'll give me just a little bit of time, we're just going to touch on a few things. It's kind of more of a Bible study this morning than it is a, a presentation or a, a sermon. So the first thing that we see is Jesus entered into whose house? Peter's house. Matthew 8, 14, when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. So first thing I want you to realize is that he didn't barge into Peter's house. More than likely, he was invited into Peter's house. Now, why is that important? Because Jesus is still, even though he's not with us physically, he's the exact representation of the nature of God. God respects our boundaries. We'll get into that a little bit. He respects free will. And so one of the things that happened with Jesus is he didn't say, sometimes he would say, I'm coming to your house. But if you were to say no, he wouldn't come. And we'll give you a scripture for that here in a minute. But the reality is he was invited into Peter's house. Acts 2, 37 through 41. Whenever uh, Peter was preaching, he said, when they heard Peter preach, uh, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, your children, and all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. And so those who received his word were baptized, and they were added to that day about 3,000 souls. You say, what does that have to do with being invited? Peter was preaching, but he couldn't make them. 
You need Jesus in your life. Jesus needs to come into your life. What we can do is we can give you the opportunity. We can let you know who he is. We can let you know that he's here. We can let you know what he wants to do in your life. But if you don't invite him in, you have to, uh, you have to receive the good news in your heart. You've got to, uh, Revelations 3 and 20 says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, then I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. A lot of people say today, well, Jesus needs to just bowl me over and then I'll believe in him. He doesn't work that way. He will, he will uh, uh, knock on your door. He will make himself known. He will, that's why pro proclamation of, of your testimony, proclamation of the gospel is so important. And when that happens, it gives people the opportunity, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you and your household shall be saved. But you have to open the door. Amen. So Jesus was invited into Peter's house. The second thing that we see is that when he was invited, he actually went into Peter's house house. Matthew 7, 24 says this, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now hold on to that because I'm going to add to that here in a minute. So here Jesus relates a house to a wise man who hears, receives, and heeds or obeys his word. Correct? So then in Matthew 16 and 18, it says, And I tell you that you are Peter, a little rock, and on this rock, you don't see it, but this is what he did, and on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So the house built on the rock is related to the one who believes in Jesus and makes the confession that Jesus is the Messiah. It says Romans 10 and 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What happens when you get saved? The Spirit of God enters into your life and you become a temple of the Lord. You become a house in which God dwells. Are you hearing what I'm saying? When you call upon the Lord for salvation, you individually become the house of God, and we corporately become the house of God. 2 Corinthians 6.16, For we are the temple or the dwelling place or the house of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. The temple is a building considered the house or the dwelling place of God. And what I want us to see is that Jesus literally being invited into and entering into Peter's house is a metaphor. And you would ask the question, what is a metaphor for? It's to teach us something. The metaphor is to represent Jesus being invited and entering in to the hearts and lives of people. Upon entering into the house, it was then brought to Jesus' attention something was not right in the house. Now, how many of you know that Jesus in the, is, a, is a manifestation of God? If you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus because Jesus is God. But he is the visible manifestation and representation of who God is. What is God like? He is our healer. He is our provider. He is our restorer. He is our redeemer. He is our sanctifier. He is our peace. He is our banner. He is everything. 
And I want you to know that God is in the business of making things good. Right? And so when he's invited into our lives, that's a good thing. But I don't know if you realize this, but when he's invited into our lives, we are not yet what we are destined to be. Anybody ever hear that metaphor that I use all the time? It's like, we're a damaged car. If our life was a car, our car is damaged. That's why we go to church, because we hear that there's a good mechanic at church. Right? And so then we invite Jesus into our life, and we come into our life, and we think all of a sudden when Jesus comes into our car that everything's going to be hunky-dory. No, what happens is when Jesus comes into your car, if you let him drive, then you begin the process of becoming better. It doesn't end the process. The process begins because from that moment that Jesus comes into your life, if you let him lead, he will then say, I want to, I notice that there's a problem over here. Can I work on this? And you always get the freedom to say yes or no. Because there are some things that we immediately want help with. There's a problem with my spouse and you need to fix it, Lord. And the Lord says, no, the problem is not with your spouse. The problem is that you, with you. No, I don't want to work on that right now. <laughs> what I'm trying to get you to realize is that the house that Jesus comes into, there's always going to be things that need uh, 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 to be updated, thing, needs to, things that need to be better. And in Peter's house, the disciples immediately brought attention that something was out of order. Something was not right in the house. It doesn't mean that this is the only thing that wasn't right in the house, but it is the thing that they brought to his attention at this particular time, and they appealed to Jesus to intervene. So what brought his attention, however, to the situation was not Jesus came in and started taking over. He came in, and then they appealed to him. That's the second point we're going to look at. Jesus was appealed to, or is this the third point? No, yeah, this is the second point. Jesus was appealed to in Peter's house. Luke 4.38, Simon's mother-in-law. Uh, same passage, uh, it's, a, it's a cross-reference. It's, it's, it's in a different uh, a gospel. It brings out and adds a little bit of illumination to what was taking place because it's a different testimony. They see different things. In this particular passage in Luke 4.38, it says Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a fever and they appealed to him on her behalf. So he didn't come in the house and say, oh, I see you're sick. Let's pray. I may touch you. No. He came into the house, and what did they begin to do when he was in the house? Master, now that you're in the house, we have a problem. We have this issue. Can you intervene? Can you do something about this? And why would they want to do some, ask him to do something about it? Because that's who he is. It's what he's been doing. He went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing all who were sick, right? That's what he did. And, and, and so what we're talking about here is we're talking about prayer, right? Because we're going to apply this to today. When Jesus comes into our lives, all of a sudden now Jesus lives within us, but he doesn't just automatically do stuff. We have to enter into a relationship with him. It's a give and take. He talks, we, we listen, he, 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 we talk, he listens. And what we're talking about here is that, that communication with God, prayer. As we pray, we get, we, the Lord knows what we need before we ask him, but he still requires that we ask him. Matthew 21, 13, he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Whose house? Who's the house? 
We're the house, right? My house shall be called a house of prayer. In Matthew 7, 7, it says, ask, and it will be given to you. Who are we asking? We're asking the Lord, right? And by the way, the context is ask and keep on asking. Some of you children, when we were children, we knew how to do that. Can I have this? 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 And we would keep asking until we got it. But somehow as adults, can I, Lord, can you do this? He didn't say anything. Or, he don't want to do nothing. He don't want, he's not interested in me. He don't care about me. And there's an enemy right there saying, God's not good. God is not looking out for your best. God's not interested in doing anything about your situation because that's what the enemy does, right? But that's not true. Jesus said, ask and it might be given to you. It says, ask and it will be given to you, right? Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. Sometimes in the middle of asking, we come to find out that maybe this isn't the best thing to ask for. Sometimes, uh, I'll, give you, I'll give you an example of my own life, okay? Uh, I used to pastor another church. I don't know if you know that, right? <gasps> Two-time pastor. No, no, I, I did that before I came here. I used to pastor another church, and I was about to leave the church. They wanted me to leave, and I wanted to leave. We were mutually in agreement, okay? So I wasn't going to have anywhere else to go, and I needed a vehicle. And at that particular time, there was a certain car dealer. This was before COVID, before all the prices, all that kind of stuff. But there was a particular car dealer that would let you buy a car, and then they would let you wait a year before you had to start making payments. I thought to myself, so that's a pretty good idea. I need a car. I'm going to have to work. I've got to have to do something. And so uh, since I won't be able to have a job after I leave here, they're not going to approve me for a car. I need to go ahead and apply for a car now. And then, but I, had a, I was wise enough to ask. And I said, God, this is a good deal. God, this is, and I felt like the Lord uh, 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 you know, wasn't really answering me. The Lord wasn't really responding to me. And finally, I felt like I got a breakthrough. And I said, God, I really need this car. Will you let me buy this car? And he said, it's kind of like, if you really want the car, you can have the car. And then I thought to myself, I didn't like the way he said that. Ooh. I said, I don't like the way he said that. It didn't seem like he's going to let me have what I want, but it seemed like when he was going to let me have my, what I want, it wasn't what is best for my life. He was just kind of caving into my requests. And I was going to pay for it somewhere down the road. So I decided not to buy the car. And you know what? A year later, I could not have afforded that car. I thought to myself, surely I can be in a position where I can afford that car. But I wasn't able to afford that car. And so God wasn't denying my request because he didn't care about me because he didn't love me. He knew where I, would, where I was going to be. And he knew this wasn't the wisest decision for my life. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So sometimes if there's a delay, it's not because he doesn't love you. It's because he knows things you don't know. All right? And then knock, and it will be open to you. Matthew 21, 22, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Right? And that's the only thing I want to bring out. So they were asking the Lord, but they weren't asking without faith. They were asking in faith. Sometimes you can ask without faith. Faith is the currency of the kingdom. He was, uh, uh, he that, who, uh, Hebrews 11, 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. He, he that, uh, uh, he must, Marty. He that comes to him must believe 
He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I know the scripture. I just like, right, wait till you be turned 59 and see what you do. All right. So anyway, Hebrews 11, 6. Faith is the currency of the kingdom. In this world, it takes money. You got to have money. Whether you like it or not, money is the currency of the kingdom. Money is the exchange for what we do. It's the exchange for our work. It's the exchange for our value. We're able to take a common currency and we're able to do something with it. You've got to have money in this society to function. Some people try bartering and all that kind of stuff, but it's really not the work. what works is money. In the kingdom of God, if you want to have something to, you want to manifest God's things in your life, you're not purchasing it, but it requires faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So when you ask, the Bible says, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask God who giveth to all men liberally but, and without reproach, and it shall be given to him, but let him ask in faith. Believing. Well, what does it mean in that context to ask in faith? It's not like, well, we'll try God, but we'll also try the credit card company. And if the credit card company comes through, we don't need God. Right? That's kind of what we do. And so, well, it's just going to be one of our options. That's not faith. Now, we're not saying that God can't lead you to do something. What we're saying is that I trust you, God. You're my provider. The credit card company is not my provider. My employer is not my provider. Now, this, is, this doesn't preach well in this, in this environment, but a lot of y'all grew up in plants. If the plant tells you we need you every Sunday, you say, yes, master. Because I need your paycheck. If Jesus says, I want you to be in church on Sunday, you say, no, 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 my other master called. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Now, we're not saying that every once in a while you won't work on a Sunday or whatever the case may be, but sometimes working on Sundays or Wednesdays are a way for you to be able to afford a lifestyle that you committed yourself to, not the Lord. I got to pay for my $100,000 Raptor pickup. There's no problem with buying a Raptor pickup. No problem with that. Right? But if you got to work on Sundays and overtime and this is your choice, not their choice, to do it, then who put yourself in that position? Well, God wants me to have the best. Of course he wants us to have the best. Some of y'all look like you're getting angry. Are y'all getting angry? Huh? You want to give a testimony? Okay, go ahead. Come on. Yeah. That's the truth, right? We're a family here. We can be real with each other, right? So, 20 years I worked shift work. I don't know how many Sundays I was in the plant. How many Sundays I missed an opportunity. How many Sundays I did not get fed. For five years, I said, Lord, I don't like this. I don't like this. I want to be in church. It didn't happen the first year. It didn't happen the second year. I did not stop praying. I said, Lord, please, please. Not quite five years later, I got offered a different job. Look, we've got to persevere. Look, it may not happen immediately. But ask God. 
I got a desk job, an office job, more money. Didn't have to be in the heat. Didn't have to uh, labor as hard. Still some labor. And I prospered. I prospered in the job. But I'm going to tell you the reason I'm giving this testimony is because don't be discouraged. What pastor's saying is true, but it's here. I had it in here. Something was burning inside of me. I knew I needed to be in the house. I knew I needed to be there. But I put the petition out there. Be encouraged. If you're working shift work and you're in the plants, just start asking him. He's got it. He's got it laid up. And he'll give you favor where you didn't even imagine. He'll give you things that you didn't even imagine. I'm going to prophesy this right now in the name of Jesus Christ over Shady Oaks, over the men and women that are being robbed right now in the name of Jesus from coming to the house of the Lord. I speak a job over them right now in the name of Jesus. A better job, better opportunity, favor, godly favor in the workplace for the ones that are here today. Receive it right now in the name of Jesus. Amen. That's a good balance to what I was saying. And I'm going to add another balance to that. Sometimes the job that God will give you may not pay as much as the one you have right now. But which one do you value more? See, Doug's right. It's about what's in the, what's in the heart. Do I value being in the presence of God enough to take a lower paying job? To do what the Lord wants? Or does it only have to be a better job? Otherwise, it ain't God. See, it's all about what's in here. Now, I know I'm meddling a little bit. That's okay. I feel like I feel I need to do that right now, all right? I'm not called to please you. I'm called to teach you. And sometimes what we teach is not always what's pleasing to us. It's just like a parent. Listen, uh, I'm, a, I'm a first and foremost, I'm a husband and a father before I'm a friend. If I never become my children's friend, I will definitely be their father. I'm not going to get to heaven and the Lord said, were you your children's friend? He said, train up a child in the way they should go. If I train them up, I've done my job. If I can be their friend, then that'll be great. But a lot of times, for some of y'all that have teenagers, in order to be their friend, you've got to do whatever they want. What do you value more? The Bible says, train up a child in the ways of the Lord, and in the end they shall not depart from them. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, I may not always be the most kind or generous, but I tried my best to bring my kids up knowing God. Have I made mistakes? Yes. Did I fail in a lot of areas? Yes. But one of the things that we need to realize, and what I hope for, is that my children will do better than I did, because I did better than my parents did. I'm grateful for my parents. I'm grateful for what they did. But they don't know what I went through. They don't know what we went through. And sometimes we tend to think, uh, very small. We tend to think our own personal lives, not realizing that uh, the, the life of Christ is, is multi-generational. And what I'm believing for is that some things that I'm weak in, my children will be better in, but some things that I'm strong in, my children will go farther and surpass from me. But there are some things, if you look at our history and our, our, our family history, there are things where we're at now in my life that may not seem to be the best, but it's a lot better than what we came from. <laughs> my, my, my wife and daughters, and I'm okay with this, I like they, they went and got their, their nails done. 
Anybody ever here do that? You guys, don't raise your hand. <laughs> Got their nails done. I like, I like them to be able to do that. You know, what kind of grates me a little bit is, is uh, this is uh, a necessity. Right? No, it's a privilege. And we're grateful for it, but it's not a necessity. My mother never went to a, a manicure shop or a pedicure shop. It would have been great if she could, but she never did. You know what she did? She trimmed her nails. And that's what I tell my family. I said, you can do that. No, no, I have to do this. No, you don't. You don't. I don't have to go get a $30 haircut at Supercuts or uh, sports clips or whatever the case may be because previous generations, mom or somebody would learn how to use a hair clipper, and we'd be okay with that. Right? So it's not like I deserve or I have to. I'm grateful that I can, but it's not something that's a necessity. I've been to Africa. I've been to South America. I've been to other places. They would be grateful just to have food on their plate. We complain about our, our health system, and there is things to complain about. But if you go to some other places where they don't have insurance, they don't have health systems, they would be grateful to have what we have. I, I don't know why I jumped off on that, but all I'm just saying is that is that we have to be careful about um, we have to be careful about becoming ungrateful, and we have to be careful about relying on uh, uh, what society gives us. We've got to learn how to go back and put our trust in God and what He can do for us. Amen. And now everything else that happens to us, we're grateful, we're thankful. Right? We're, we, we don't want to... I like having a house. I, I, I told my wife, if I had the money, I'd love to have a beach house. Not for me to show myself, but so my family, when they come, they can all go down there and they can enjoy and we, we can rent it out. There's nothing wrong with these things as long as they don't have you. But they're privileges. It doesn't, they're not necessities. They're not rights. They're privileges, and we have it better today, no matter how, how bad we think it hap we might have it. Most of us have it better today than our previous generations have. And so what we want to do is we want to teach our children to be grateful for what you have. Maybe sometimes we don't do a good job of putting in context what God has done for us. And so instead of them being ungrateful or, un, uh, uh, you know, uh, unknowledgeable and, and, and forming opinions based on what they're experiencing, based on comparing what other people have in life, when they begin to see life historically and see what God has done and where God is bringing us, then they can begin to be grateful for what they do have and believe God for more without losing perspective. How many of our parents had to go outside in the middle of the night? Maybe even with a gun in their hand to go to the bathroom. I thought about that. I said, what if I had to, you know, sometimes when you get older, um, you have to get up a little bit more. And then you go back to bed and you fall asleep. But, you know, if you have to do some things while you're up, going back to sleep a little bit harder. What if I had to go outside 50, mile, 50 yards or 100 yards away from the house and it's cold and, and I step on something and then going back to sleep might be a little more difficult. But many of us aren't that far away from that. I remember my grandparents. Man, I'm really getting off on a tangent. I remember my grandparents. I remember going to Mexico. 
And my grandparents, you know, we, we used to, when we, we they didn't have, they, they had a bathroom that outside their house. They had built a bathroom. And, you know, for that, in Reynosa, at that particular time, that was like, wow. Because most people had an outhouse at that particular time. But they didn't have hot water. And so how would we take a bath? If you wanted a hot bath, they would have to boil water. They had this uh, uh, tub. And they would fill it, and then they'd get it right with cold water, and then you would just, you know, do it like that, you know, and you would pour it. That was normal for us. Never thought anything about it. Just what we did. I'd never take a bath like that. Well, you, you, it wasn't that long ago that that's what everybody had to do. Right? And so you could think, well, it, it, that's wrong. That's backwards. That's whatever. No, be grateful for what you do have without losing sight of where you came from. And believe God for more. Right? But let's not believe God for more and be ungrateful about it. Let's learn how to believe God for more and be grateful. And then when God gives you more, because I believe the more is coming. I believe this church is going to be uh, experience abundance. But the true test of abundance is what we do when we're in the middle of abundance. You see, it's one thing for people to get mad when they have nothing. But it's another thing, see, another trick of the enemy, I'm on a rabbit trail. Are you guys okay with me going on a rabbit trail? Okay. So, in, in Matthew 13, where it talks about the seeds, in a way, it's also talking about how the enemy works in our life. So one of the ways that he works is he hardens our hearts. He blinds the minds of unbelievers. So when the seed of the word of God is, is, is given, it doesn't penetrate. Another way he works is that when the seed does, oh, man, that's so good. I'm hearing about God. And all of a sudden, you thought things are going to be great. Things are going to rosy. Jesus is in my life. But then all of a sudden, you look around, and, and your car is still messed up. Your house is still broken. You still got things going on. You still get mad. Well, I thought things were going to get better. And all of a sudden, the enemy's right there trying to get you upset. All these, the Bible says uh, uh, when, when the afflictions arise because of the word. In other words, God makes you a promise and you start believing God for the promise and it don't get better, it gets worse. And you want to say to yourself, it ain't God. God ain't true. God didn't do what he said he's going to do. I'm not, I'm not serving. I'm going, and all of a sudden, well, how did, that's, a, that's a work of the enemy. It's not the work of God, it's the work of the enemy. But if he can't get you off on this side of the road, then he'll push you off on the other side of the road and it's just as much the enemy. Now listen, blessings are from the Lord, but... The cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches can also pull you away from God if you begin to focus your heart on the cares and the deceitfulness of riches instead of the Lord who gave you those. Well, I got a better job. I got to work every Sunday. No problem. I'm doing it for the Lord. God's blessing me. But you're never functioning in church. You're never doing the things of God. And all of a sudden, the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of this world. Oh, man, this is more important in my life right now. You know, people turn 18 and all of a sudden they start coming to church because now going out there and doing all this is more important. The cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches start pulling us away from God. And I just want you to know, that is a purposeful strategy of the enemy. If he can't get you with one, he's going to get you on the other side. We've got to learn how to walk down the narrow road, right? And so what does that look like? The good soil, right, believes God, continues with God through the struggles, through the difficulties, continues to focus their attention on the Lord, and in the end they produce a crop, they produce a harvest 30, 60, and 100 fold. Anyway, let me get back to where we're at. 
So faith, you've got to ask with faith. And these, when they asked the Lord, they asked him to do something about the situation, but they weren't asking him as if he could do anything or wondering if he could do anything. They asked him, will you do something about the situation? And Jesus probably said, yes. How do you know? Because he went over to her and he did something about the situation. So what we find happening, point number three, Jesus touched her, healed her. Where did he do it? Whose house? In Peter's house. This is important. And he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she arose and began to serve him. The touch of Jesus on a life brings healing, wholeness, and restoration. But you've got to continue to partner with him. He's in your life, but if you don't pursue Jesus for things that you see him do in the word and see him do in others, if you don't ask him to do these things in your life, he doesn't just automatically do it. You've got to ask him. You've got to believe him. You've got to, you've got to uh, 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 interact with him. You've got to believe that he can do it. You've got to pursue him that he will do it. And as he does that, you've got to know that his desire for your life is to be healthy and whole. He wants what's best for you. He's a good God who created a good humanity. The enemy is the one that brought sickness, disease, infirmity, and affliction and brings all these things on us, but it's not God. And God comes in, and anytime God's in, he wants to make, like my wife said, that church is healthy. He wants to make healthy and whole. 1 John 3 and 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Acts 10 and 38, Jesus, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went around doing good. What did that look like? Healing all who were oppressed of the devil. What does that tell you? Sickness and disease, affirmity and affliction, all these things come from doesn't mean you're demon-possessed. We're just saying it's not something that God created. It's something that the enemy sowed. And he went around changing the situation because that's what he does. He came to destroy the works of the devil. Mark 5, 27 through 29. She had heard the reports about Jesus. Of the woman with the issue of blood came up behind him in the crowd, touched his garment. For she said, if I touch his garment, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Matthew 8, 2 through 3, Behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will. Actually, I think it's better to say, I am willing and will always continue to be willing. Because it's written in the present tense, continuing. Jesus is present tense. I am willing and will always continue to be willing. Be clean. And immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. So what happened after she touched her and she was healed? The Bible says she rose up. Where did she rise up? In whose house? Peter's house, right? Matthew 8, 15. He touched her hand and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve Jesus. Where? In Peter's house. Now remember, we're not just talking about Peter. Well, show me where Peter's house is, and I'll go do the same. No, this is a metaphor for our life. They didn't just serve Jesus when they went to church. And I want you to know, she didn't go to church. She didn't say, well, I'm just going to go to church and listen and, 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 and not participate and just, just glean and, 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 and let them bless me. Seems to be conditioned of much of the church today. We're no longer participants. We're spectators. No, that's not what Jesus raises up to be. Jesus doesn't touch us and heal our lives just so we can be spectators. He touches and heal our lives so we can do what this woman does. She rose up and began to serve him in Peter's house, in her house, because that's where she lived. And that's what God wants to do in our life. He wants to touch you so you can make a difference at home. 
The word arose comes from the Greek word agairo, which means to rise up, to cause to be again, or restoration. Jesus is in the restoration business. Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation to everyone who believes. That word salvation is not just getting my ticket punched so I can go to heaven. It's that you can be whole, healthy, spirit, soul, body, relationships, finances, every dimension of your life. Jesus wants to make it whole. I have come that you may have life. What kind of life? Life more abundantly. I don't know about you, but I tried to live life on my own. It wasn't abundant. It was problem-filled. And most of the problems I was in is because I had dug a pit with my own hands, and I was living in a pit that I dug with my own hands because I did it without God. Now, don't. Don't misquote me here. I'm not saying that if you invite Jesus in your life, you're not going to have problems. But what I'm going to tell you is that if you invite Jesus in your life, when you go through problems, you are now in relationship with the problem solver. But he won't solve your problem if you don't come to him with your problem and let him into your life and do things his way. Well, Jesus, you can solve my problem. Well, I need you to do this. No, no, I'd rather do it another way. That's what most of us do. I need you to do this. No, I'm not willing to give that. Ask me for something else. That's not the way it works. He that would come after me must deny his right to self-rule, must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow after him. If you want Jesus' remedies in your life, you've got to do it his way. He that hears my words and obeys them will be like a house that's built on a rock. Obeys his word. So we're all the time, no, no, Jesus, have you thought about doing it this way? I know you're God and all that kind of stuff, but you've got a lot of stuff going on. Listen, I've already got it figured out. Just, just, just do what I say, and it'll work out great for you and great for me, and you, you know, you've got other things you've got to worry about. That's not the way it works, right? So uh, your house is more than you as well. Your house is a word that encompasses uh, 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 your household. And and a derivative of the word house is the word household. Your house is all those that are part of your life. Acts 11, 13, and 14. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house, talking about uh, uh, Cornelius, and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and your whole house whole. Now remember that word salvation is not just about going to heaven. It's about Jesus wants to make you and your house hold whole. He's in the restoration business. You hear what I'm saying? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, Acts 16, 31, and you will be saved, you and your house whole. I do that whenever I take communion and where I'm standing with the Lord. I said, Lord, you've made a promise. This is the promise you've made to me. I said, I, I'm lifting up myself. I believe you, Lord. I've saved, but you've also promised me my household. And my household is not just my wife and daughters, but it's all my descendants that are coming after me. And I'm standing in faith, and I'm saying, this is the promise you made for me, and I'm not going to let go of it. I'm going to believe you. And as long as I'm alive, I'm going to believe you for the ones that I see. But when I die, I'm going to believe that you're going to honor my faith, and those that come after me are going to have my prayers, my willingness to stand with God, just like they did with David. God would say to the, to the household of David, because of my servant David, I'm going to do this in your life. I'm hoping that one day the Lord will say, because of my servant Rick, I'm going to do this in your life. Hallelujah. Now listen, it's not about Rick. 
It's about Jesus and Rick. But I believe that the Lord honors me as his son as well. I'm not the son of God, but I'm a son. And I believe the Lord loves me and the Lord honors my prayers and my faith. And I believe that he's going to hear me and he's going to do that. You can believe whatever you want. All right? As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord and believe God. So Jesus came for more than just to get us into heaven when we die. He came to bring healing, wholeness, and restoration into our life, your family, your descendants, your nation, yes, even the whole world. Sometimes I think we think too small. We're thinking just about me, and that's okay. That's the most important thing until it's about you, but Jesus is thinking about you and all those who are with you. Amen? So, uh, point number five, she served the Lord and others in Peter's house. Matthew 8, 15. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. He restored her to life again, and she began to serve those who were around her, those that were in his company. A truly whole person seeks to serve others through their life. I'm talking about a whole person. I'm not talking about just, just disease. I'm talking about whole right? We live in a generation that's not whole because it's about me, myself, and I. What can I do more for myself? The most important thing in life. It's all about self, right? And it's not. That's not a whole person. That's a myopic person. It's not somebody that's seeing everything. Boy, I'm reading a little tough this morning, huh? I'm just saying what you're, what you're thinking. He's being a little tough this morning. So listen, we're called to serve. When she was restored to life, she began to do what we as a people, as a race, as a creation of God were called to do. We were put on this planet to serve. Amen. The word serve is from the Greek word diakonia, which can also be translated as ministry. Everyone has a ministry because everyone serves. Everyone's calling and ministry is to serve. It was Adam's call. The Lord placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend it, to serve it, and to watch over it, Genesis 2.15. It was Jesus' call, Matthew 20.28. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It was the Apostles' call, Acts 6 and 4. We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry, the word diakonia, service of the word. And it's our call, Galatians 5.13. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. Last thing we're going to look at. They brought, I think it's the second to the last thing. They brought the sick to Jesus in Peter's house, Matthew 8, 16. Where did they bring the sick to? Whose house? Peter's house. No, we need to get them to the pastor. We need to get them to the deacons. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but I want you to see that the goal is to get them to you. Because the same God that lives in me lives in you. Right? They began to bring the sick to Jesus. Where was they being brought to? Wherever Jesus resided. Where does Jesus live? Within us. There, this house, Peter's house, became a light to that neighborhood that it was in and beyond. And your house, your life, will be a light to the neighborhood. It's supposed to be a light to the neighborhood where you're at and beyond. What I want us to grasp is that the kingdom of God always wants to advance. To the extent that we cooperate with God, not only will the kingdom of God advance or grow in us, but it will seek to advance through us. 
as we allow the goodness of God and the power of God to flow out of us, not just in church, but the place where we live, where we work, where we shop, where we do things on a daily basis. Isaiah 61 through 3, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. Turn to somebody and say, he's talking to you. And you, no, he's talking to you. And nations, what is God looking for? See, we say, and my wife, and that's important. We say, and my friend, and that's important. But I want you to know that God thinks bigger than that. He says, and nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Luke 5, 29 through 32, and Levi, well, I feel I praise the Lord on that, I'm telling you. Luke 5, 20, 29 through 32, and Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with him. Whose house was Jesus in now? Levi's house. In this particular instance, he's in Levi's house. Who is Levi? Levi was one of those good-for-nothing tax collectors that keep taking my money that now has a right to carry a gun. Jesus went to his house. And you know who he invited to his house? A bunch of other no-low-life no, other no tax collectors and the Pharisees and the scribes and the, and the people at church grumbled. Jesus was hanging out with sinners. They said, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And you know where sinners live? Around you. They don't live in church. We're the church. They live around your house. Right? Last thing, Jesus healed people. Where? Whose house? Peter. Peter's house. Matthew 8, 16. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. When others are told of the goodness of God, the presence of God that has changed our house, our lives, it opens us up the door for them to come to our house, our lives, and for receive from the Jesus that has taken residence up in us. Paul said, it is no longer I that live, but Christ in me. I can't heal anybody but the Jesus that lives inside of you can. Right? John 14 and 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. Acts 1 and 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. You know, today, there's this thing, everybody wants, like, a diesel truck, or, you know, they want a 4 by 4 they want a diesel truck. But if we were honest, how often are we going to use them? Probably never. It's just another thing that I can have to show, look how bad, look how I, I want a dually, I want a diesel, I want a Ford. Now, some people actually need them. We're not saying there's anything wrong with them. But for most of us, we're never going to use them. Jesus didn't give you power so you can have another accessory. He gave you power so you could use it. We shall receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon us, and we will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, today of Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. See, Jesus is the big rock, and we're the little rock, right? We're built. He is the cornerstone. He is the one that determines whether you're true or not. He is the measure and the standard that everything else is built by. 
but it says in first peter chapter 2 it says as you come to him a living stone who is he talking about people that believe in the lord jesus christ he is the rock we are living stones right a living stone rejected by man but in the sight of god chosen presser you yourselves like living stones are being built up a spiritual house we are stones built upon the stone we are rocks built upon the rock which is jesus but without the lord it collapses right but the purpose of a foundation there's a foundation somewhere down the road that's been built for 15 years purpose of a foundation is not to just have a foundation the purpose of a foundation is for an edifice to be built on it and it's for us you and I and all those that Jesus wants to add to the foundation amen all right so in conclusion all that we looked at today took place at Peter's house and as we pose at the beginning of the message Peter's house is a metaphor for life Peter's house is also a type of what God wants to do in us and through us he wants to come into our house and bring restoration and his kingdom rule into our household his purpose is that our life might become the light that shines forth in the darkness of our neighborhood, our jobs, our schools, our communities, anywhere we go, that others may come and receive the healing and wholeness in their lives right there in us, through us, where we live. That being said, the question becomes, where are you? Are you the house that Jesus resides in? If he does live inside of your house, is he allowed to do what he wants to do in your life? Have you been touched and healed? Jesus is the healer. If you don't know him, he wants to come into your house, but you have to bite him. When you invite him into your life, there are areas of your life he wants to bring restoration and wholeness to. If you ask him, he will. But the purpose is not that you would just exist. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. His purpose is that we would arise and start doing the works of God, serving God and serving the brethren around him by bringing his healing and his wholeness into the lives of others. You, your life becomes a house where Jesus resides, where people start coming to, and they can find the life of God, the healing of God, the restoration of God, because of what he's doing in you. With Jesus, life is complete. But Jesus doesn't stop. He wants to bring the kingdom of God, the growth. He wants us to produce fruit. You know who eats the fruit that we produce? It's not us. It's the people around us. You know what happens when they partake of that fruit? It becomes a life, healing, wholeness to them. Amen.